All right, looks like we are currently live on the live stream, LBC, Lucerne Baptist Church, Light of the World, hallelujah, somebody ought to say amen on that note right there, praise God. You know, last week we started a, um, a little series here, I'm just trying to get my, my phone logged on to the live stream, I want to make sure that everything's working, but just looks like there's too many of y'all on there. You're slowing me down. I can't get on. But anyway, last week we we started we started last week, and uh, we started on a a study that I'm calling how we got the New Testament, and we talked about something called inspiration, uh, which is basically how God literally breathed uh, the Holy Scriptures. We looked at Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And there's a reason why all of that is the case, and that reason is that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good, may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. And so the Word of God has a purpose for our life. Amen. Somebody say amen. Um, <clears throat> and so today we're going to talk about another stage in the process of how we got the New Testament, and this stage is called canonization. But first of all, before we do that, uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to lead us in this Bible study. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we are so thankful that we have the ability to be able to come together, uh, even if it's just virtual, Lord. We're able to um, go beyond our, our physical capabilities, Lord. We're able to reach all the way around the world uh, just with a few clicks of a few buttons, Lord, and we're just so thankful for that. So, Lord, during these troubled times, I ask that you would give peace and comfort uh, to those who are afflicted and to those who are mourning, Lord, and those who are suffering and, and just uh, fearful for what's to come. And, Lord, I just thank you for the peace that passes all understanding when we let all of our requests be made known, on to, be made known to you. And, Father, I ask that you would lead us and guide us throughout the rest of this day and open up our hearts and minds right now in Jesus' name that we might be able to understand your word. We love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, again, you know, last week we talked, for those of you who are just um, jumping on, last week we talked about inspiration uh, and, and how we got the, the word of God. And if you missed that study, I, I strongly encourage you to go back to our Facebook page or to our website and take a look at... Uh, at last week's study, I mean, it was it was powerful, you know. So I encourage you to do that. Um, and then another thing that Brother Bill uh, has actually got started for us is we have a one eight hundred number. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, uh, it's amazing. We have a one eight hundred number that people can actually call. Uh, we've been using it as a as a prayer hotline. And uh, for those for those who don't have internet access or for those who don't have Facebook or whatever. Uh, we're also using it as a way to transmit um, our, our sermons and our Bible studies and our prayer meetings and all that via a 1-800 number as well. So right now I actually have my phone sitting over here on a chair and I've got it on speaker. And there's, I don't know how many people are actually logged into that conference call right now, but there's a, quite a, a long list of people. I think last night we had 30-something people on a, a conference call for our prayer meeting last night. Praise God. It was a, a, a really powerful uh, deal. And just, just thanking God for all of the many um, you know, means that we have to get, get his message out and to support one another 
in the gospel. And so, uh, if any of you do, you know, happen to want to get get involved with the uh, with the one eight hundred number, I'm going to go ahead and give you the number now. And you can, and I don't want to sound like a, a radio DJ or nothing, but uh, you can actually call into this number right now by dialing 1-800-835-4789. And then you, you type in, it's going to ask you to type in a code, and that's what that code is right there, 999-1362. And then hit the pound button. And then you're actually going to be logged in with a whole bunch of other people that's just listening to this message live right now. And if you have a question, you can actually call in on the 1-800 number and physically ask your question as we go throughout this study. Uh, in order for you to be able to do that, you're going to hit, because you're going to be muted when you come in, but in order to get unmuted and actually ask a question, you're going to hit star five. Y'all see that? Star five to raise your hand. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So yeah, call the 1-800 number, ask some questions, uh, tell me you love me, whatever you want to do, I don't care, you know, we're all in this thing together. Uh, I'm actually broadcasting from my home right now, I'm not even wearing any shoes, and I am wearing Noah's tie, he wanted me to wear his tie for this Bible study, so that's what I'm doing, amen. So anyway, moving along, uh, before we really get del you know, started into this, uh, this study on canonization, uh, the process of canonization and, you know, and acquiring the books that we have in our Bible, um, I, wanna, I want us to turn to Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 real quick. So we're going to start this thing off with Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, uh, because here's what I need you to understand. Uh, any Christ, when it comes to understanding any Christian doctrine, not some, not most, not a few sprinkled here and there, but any Christian doctrine, we must first understand that the Bible, I don't know if y'all can see that, but this thing right here, the Bible, this is always going to be our primary authoritative source. It's not going to be Bible dictionaries. It's not going to be commentaries. It's not going to be the Internet. The Bible is the sole authoritative and primary authoritative source for understanding Christian doctrine or for obtaining Christian doctrine. And so I just wanted to make that, that clear because we're going to be talking, you know, God uses men in the process of, you know, of his will and, and of his plan, you know, but I want you to understand that first and foremost, we go to the word of God and you're going to see that everything concerning doctrine and, and his will and how we're supposed to live and how we get saved and, and everything, even down to the preservation of his word, even down to the, the Bible that we have. That process is in this book. Somebody say amen. amen. So Psalm chapter 12, uh, the Bible is always going to be our primary authoritative source. So I want to go here before I go and start talking about, you know, some of the other, you know, things that God used. Uh, but one of my favorite Bible teachers, you know, just to, to reiterate this point, uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers always says, if it's not in the Bible, it didn't happen. Somebody say amen. So God uses people, you know, last week we talked about uh, the doctrine of inspiration, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know, God gave the scriptures to us, uh, but, but he gave it to us through the writings of men 
as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You can find that in Second Peter. You know, we talked about that last week. And, uh, you know, so God uses men, but ultimately it's the Lord who directs the steps of these men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, and now this process that God, you know, used uh, in, the, in the preservation of his word, we're going to find right here that God gives us a promise in chapter 12 of, of Psalms, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read that to you. If Bobby can pull that up on the screen real quick, that way everybody can be reading uh, along with me, and you should have your Bibles, hopefully. Um, but Psalms 12, 6 and 7, he says, The words of the Lord are pure words. So we're talking about the words of the Lord. And he says in the Bible that the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So we're talking about the word of God, how they are pure and they are tried. You know, one of the illustrations that I give in, in this scenario is, uh, what does he mean by tried? Well, what does it mean when you break a law or you, somebody you know breaks a law? Because I know y'all don't break laws. Hallelujah. Praise God. But if somebody that you knew broke a law, then they would go to something that we call in front of a judge and something that we call a trial. And on trial, they get tried to see if uh, they can prove the accusations that's been made against them. And that's what he's talking about with the word here. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. So when he says the word of the Lord is, is tried, you can best believe it's been proven over and over and over again as the most powerful and amazing force on this planet. The word of God is absolutely incredible. Somebody say amen. Verse 7 says, thou shalt keep them. All right. Thou shalt keep what? The words of the Lord. He's talking about the words of the Lord. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So in the Bible, God gives us a promise that even though thousands of years have passed since the creation of the earth and Adam and Eve and Moses and Noah Jesus and all these other people that we've read about in the Bible, how can we know that what we read here is reliable? Well, because God preserved, he promised us and he did preserve his word and he did it in this Bible. All right. So the process that God used in the preservation of his word is called canonization. Alright, so this is stage two of the four stages that we're going to be talking about in this study, how we got in the New Testament. Uh, canonization is the word that we use to describe how the New Testament writings became a catalog of approved books. Alright, so it comes to us from a Hebrew word, kanah, and the Greek equivalent canon, which literally means a measuring stick or a standard. Which what we need to understand as Christians, as followers of Christ, our standard is not any other thing. It's not your pastor who will fail you. It's not your favorite televangelist who will fail you. It's not your favorite Bible, uh, you know, Sunday school teacher. All of those people will fail you and will not end up you know, missing the standard, missing the mark. All have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God, but there's one thing that we can stand on as a reliable source and standard, and that's his word. All right? And so the word canon means um, a measuring stick or a standard. This is the standard that we as Christians live by, these 66 books. All right, so the canon of the New Testament books is closed. In other words, we're not adding to uh, what's already in this book. Somebody read Revelation chapter 22, and you'll see why we don't do that. And it's mentioned many other times. God said, don't do that. Do not add to my words. Do not take away from my words, which we can get into a whole other conversation in reference to that. And we might get into that uh, in the next week uh, when we talk about transmission and translation. Uh, but that's not for today. I, um, so the, the New Testament canon is closed. It's 27 books. And how this uh, canon came to be in its for, uh, current form is an important study. And this process actually spanned over a, a couple of centuries. But what's interesting is um, how it actually came, came to be. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. Um, after the New Testament books were written, they began to be copied and circulated to multiple congregations all across uh, the ancient Near East. Uh, these congregations began collecting and preserving these writings as special, and we know that they are. These are not just ordinary words. They're not just, uh, you know, the words of men. They're the words of God, and so they are special. And as they begin to add these books to these uh, special writings, their collections continue to grow. And the New Testament books were not, not the only Christian writings of the first and second century. We see Paul, you know, making mention of that and other New Testament writers making mention of that, that uh, during the course of their lifespan, there were people writing all kinds of letters and all kinds of books and all kinds of uh, claims to, you know, what was going on in the, in the nature of Christ and stuff. But and Paul warned us against those things. And so uh, the, the, new, the early church had to begin to distinguish between which writings were to be accepted as worthy to be read in the churches and which writings were not worthy to be read and should be avoided. And so, in effect, the early church began recognizing the scriptures through this process. All right, so now I just want to take a very brief moment. I'm not going to get uh, into this too deep. Uh, my knowledge of this is not extensive because it's really, it's a lost cause. Now, I've, I've looked into it a little bit. I know a little bit about it, but it's worthy to uh, make mention of, of this right now as we're talking about um, which books were worthy and which were not. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Apocrypha and other deuterocanonical -can books. That's not an easy word to say. Somebody help me. All right, so first of all, let's consider the meaning of the word apocrypha. Uh, the, the word apocrypha literally means things that are hidden or secret. Now, to the flesh and to my flesh, that sounds good. It, it appeals to me. I want to know the hidden and secret things, you know, uh, and, and those things that, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to know. I don't know. It's just something within me. I grew up watching Scooby-Doo and Are You Afraid of the Dark and all kind of little mystery type stuff. It just appeals to me. Uh, and, and I believe that man has always been drawn to the hidden and secret things, not just me, obviously. Uh, so, you know, and just think about 
what the serpent said to Eve in the garden. You know, God gave Adam and Eve his word. That out of all the trees and fruit in the garden, eat whatever you want. But one tree, don't eat of it because you will surely die. And of course, the serpent came back, you know, later on and he questioned the word of God to Eve. You know, she said, you know, we can't eat the tree. We can't touch the tree and all this stuff like that. That's another topic for another day, too. There's some stuff there. Uh, but we'll move along. Uh, and, and the serpent came and questioned and put doubt on the word of God. And he said, you know, God really didn't mean that you'll die. That's not he's in fact, he's trying to hide something very special from you because he knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. And that's when the lie entered into the heart of man. All right. And so. Uh, and, and then another another thing, you know, think about the Tower of Babel. What were they trying to do? They were trying to build a tower to enter into heaven. There's a whole category of stuff to talk about on that, you know, that's pretty interesting, that is probably a little bit outside of the box, and that's a, a topic for another day as well. Uh, but there's some interesting things about the Tower of Babel. You know, you would think that if you were trying to reach some, you know, sky-high place, you know, like most people think, you know, in terms of a tower, why did they build it in a valley? And somebody do some homework on that, and you might can find out. All right. Um, so, and let, so let me say this. Satan loves to convince the people of God that God is withholding some kind of secret information from them. Satan loves to do that. But I tell you right now, that is so far from the truth. Now, God is ready and willing to bring revelation to those uh, who are ready and willing to seek him. You know, Jeremiah says, uh, you know, we'll, if we we will find the Lord, he's there to be found if we seek him, but we must seek him with all of our heart. And so God is ready and he's willing to bring revelation to the believer who seeks him. All right. And when he does it, he's not going to be, it's not, he's not going to give you some secret all right, that only belongs to some special group of worthy people. And you can't go around sharing the secret with anybody else, the hidden things. You got to be worthy in order to, you know, get the real revelation of God. So that's not how God works. So I don't buy into the Apocrypha. I don't really get into all that stuff. You know, there's probably some valuable historical, um, you know, meanings to it. I'm not saying every piece of information in there is false. But it's not inspired scripture, and that's what matters. That's why it's not in the Bible. It's not inspired word of God, uh, regardless of whether it has you know some level of, of truth to it or not. Is that's, that's irrelevant. Uh, but and then you know the other word you know that you know you hear tossed around quite a bit is uh, deuterocanonical. That very difficult word uh, to pronounce there, and some of y'all are probably like, "What in the world is this guy talking about?" Uh, but this base, you know, that's the, the list of books and, and letters that have been written and collected uh, over the course of, of the years and that are not included in our Bible, but may have Christian references and undertones and whatnot. And this word means the books that belong to the second canon that, you know, Deutero and canon. So the second canon. And so this basically goes to show us that by the name alone, these books were never considered uh, to be in with the 66 uh, canonized books that are in our Holy Bible as we have it today. 
So that's just that's that's the way it is. It's not on the same level as the scriptures in the 66 books of the Bible that you hold in your hand right now. Uh, so some interesting facts that I came up with for you that I did a little research on just to uh, give you a little bit more on, you know, why we don't include this in the Bible. Um, not one of the apocryphal books, which was included in the Old Testament. Uh, it was pre-New Testament. It was actually, they were written in the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but none of them were written in the Hebrew language. Uh, they were all written in, uh, in Greek, uh, and one of them, I think, was written in Latin, which basically means that these apocryphal books were never acknowledged as Scripture by the Jews. They were never included in the Hebrew canon ever. Uh, and the Jews were the custodians or the, you know, they're the ones who held uh, and kept dear and protected uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, you know, the, the prophets and the, the Torah and all this stuff like that, the Hebrews guarded and protected those scriptures, but they never included the Apocrypha or any of those other, you know, um, pseudo-epigraphal writings, really. I mean, it's, they're, they're false writings. They're not, they're not meant to be included uh, in, in our scripture. All right? In fact, uh, even the Jews even went so much uh, when Rome came in and destroyed uh, Jerusalem in, in 70 A.D., uh, they destroyed the Apocryphal writings. They, they didn't want nothing to do with them. All right. Another thing is that the apocryphal books were not even permitted among the sacred books during the first four centuries of the real Christian church. And what, what do I mean by real Christian church? Well, if you know your church history, you know there was a, a real church and there was a false church. I won't get into it. Do your research on that. It's a whole topic for another day. And, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is there was a real church and there was not a real church. And, and that's why we have, you know, the two different sects of Christianity as we know it today, Prote you know, Prote the Protestants and, you know, the other people. But anyway, uh, another thing is the Apocrypha contains statements which not only contradict the books in our Bible, but they also contradict their own scriptures, even in the same book. And we know that our scriptures have no contradictions in them whatsoever anywhere. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, and then finally, the Apocrypha makes reference to salvation by works and by money. Somebody uh, go and research the sales of indulgences. That's kind of where some of this stuff came up, you know, came to be, uh, is out of these apocryphal writings. And also many other contradictory doctrines that are located in our Bible. We know that the Bible says that there's nothing we can do to work our way to salvation. There's nothing I can, my, my greatest, you know, my greatest try, my greatest efforts are but filthy rags in the sight of God. It is the blood of Jesus that covers the multitude of sins. It is, it is by, by faith through grace that I'm saved, not of works. All right, so moving along, the church did not, uh, here's, here's another thing. Here's one of the main reasons why I wanted to go through and have this study. Because the Bible is the most hated book on the planet. It's loved, it's the most loved, but it's also the most hated book at the same time. It's banned in what I think 60 or more countries all across the globe. 
And why is that? Because there's power, there's freedom, there's liberty in the Bible. There's liberty in the word of God. He came to set the captive free. And so these countries, you know, these uh, dictatorship type countries, these communist type countries, they don't want people to be free. They want people to be in bondage and slaves to their beck and call. All right. And so but the Bible brings liberty. And so it's the most hated book on the planet. All right? And it's attacked from all sides, even in the church. You go to a, a Bible college and you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Even in our Bible colleges, if you're not careful, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to Bible college. I'm in, I'm in it right now. But you've got to be careful because there are those out there who would try their very best to do just as Satan did to cast doubt in your mind and in your heart on the veracity or the you know the inspiration or the authority of scripture they'll tell you man there's all kinds of contradictions people took books of the bible out and added other ones and all this kind of stuff it's written by men it was built by men so on and so forth but i'm here to tell you today the church in a group of men with long beards and a you know pointy stick and a weird looking hat did not sit in a room and that's why we have the bible as we know it today that's not how it happened. The church did not create the Bible, as some try to argue. All right, so you can even read carefully in Scripture and see that even Scripture suggests that the process of canonization actually began while the New Testament was being written. And the early Christians seemed to expect that there would be Christian Scriptures because all the, all the while, you know, they had the written Word of God, which was what we talked about last week, uh, that stemmed from Moses when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and all of the law, uh, you know, they wrote it down. And so they had, they've had scriptures, and Jesus quoted scripture over and over again. So the, the early Christians were expecting and waiting for the written word of God to come into being. All right? and, this, and, and man couldn't do it. Man could not do it. Only God can. All right? So we see in Scripture um, that the process of canonization had already begun as, as they were writing the letters in, in the books. All right, so if you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, I'll give you an example. 1 Timothy 5, 18. All right. Um, he says, For the Scripture saith, so here we have Paul writing to Timothy, and he blatantly says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, if you have a reference Bible, you might see in the center column of your reference that, that the end of that verse there, the laborer is worthy of his reward, Look over there to the left or to the right, and it'll say Luke 10, 7. If it doesn't say that, that's fine. But Paul was, was quoting from the book of Luke. So look over at Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He says, And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. So here we have Paul writing to Luke, and he's saying, The Scripture saith. 
And then he quotes from the book of Luke. Do you follow what I'm saying here? So this was not just something that happened, you know, years and years later. And then, you know, people just came up with a bunch of letters and books and then threw them all together and said, this is what we're going to use. They understood that, that, that scripture was already being written. And you, you can also look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. This is a strong one. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. All right. He says, as also in all his epistles, Peter's talking about Paul here, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures. Bobby, pull that back up so they can see, you know, where I asked you to underline there. Uh, and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So here you have the apostle Peter quote, um, talking about the epistles of Paul and telling, and, and, you know, that in some instances are hard to be understood. And, you know, and that's true. We have to have revelation from the Holy Spirit when, you know, in his time. And then he says, there is for those that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures. So here Peter is telling you that the writings of Paul and his letters are scripture. That is amazing to me. You know, and this is stuff that if you're not careful, you'll overlook it in, in a heartbeat. You won't see it, but, you know, it's really, really good stuff. All right, so these writings began to circulate in collections. You know, uh, initially all the Gospels, they formed a collection and they circulated throughout, you know, the, the churches. And, you know, we know that the Gospels contained the, uh, the story of Jesus Christ, his birth and, you know, his life, his ministry and his death and resurrection. And so those, the Gospels formed a collection. They circulated. Paul's letters did the same thing. Uh, you know, and then all, all the way back as early as 170 A.D. This was not a, this was a short period of time, uh, you know, after after Christ. You know, there, the earliest official list of New Testament books dates from 170 A.D. And they call that the Muratorian Canon. And the, the this this particular canon, uh, you know, all the way from A.D. 170 uh, lists 22 of the 27 New Testament books that we have in our Bible today. And then the first uh, list that we had, the first canon that we have to list all 27 books and none of the other extra biblical books, if you want to call it that, uh, is found in a, a letter written in AD 367 by Athanasius. Right? And so as early as 367, you already see that there is an entire list of the 27 books that we have in this Bible. So it's not like you know, a hundred years ago, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus Christ, a bunch of dudes in a pointed hat in a little secret room came together and said, these are the books. This happened way back in the day. Right? And, and the, the fact of the matter is, those are just the list that, that we have found. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, there weren't other uh, canonized lists that gave uh, credence to the veracity of the 27 books earlier than that. We just don't have it. Uh, and we don't need it because Scripture testifies in and of itself.
All right. And of course, uh, and then so then there, there are five reasons that contributed to the formation of the New Testament canon as we have it. All right. So when they found these letters and, and whatnot under the uh, guide of the Holy Ghost, of course, number one. But the things that they looked for uh, in adding these books to these these canons were, first of all, the prophetic nature and the intrinsic value of the New Testament value of the New Testament books. That it was obvious these were not in, right? and they held, held great value because they came from eyewitness accounts, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But it didn't come from people who just heard about Jesus or you know was told about Jesus. It came from eyewitness accounts uh, that uh, that saw the life of, of Jesus, all right, and saw all that he did on the earth. Right? Another thing that they that contributed to the formation of, of the New Testament was they their need, the church's need for authoritative scriptures. We talked a little bit last week. If we didn't have scripture, if we didn't have the word of God, that standard or that measuring stick to live our lives by, then we would all come up with our own version of who God is. Because what I think is going to be different than what you think. And if we were just left to our own devices, we would all miss the mark. And so God gave us uh, this, this tool, his word, and because he knew and he, that there was a need for the church to have authoritative scriptures. All right. Uh, there was also a lot of heresy, you know, which kind of you know goes along with what I just said. Uh, the scriptures are there to combat heresy. You know, the challenges to the faith uh, that demands an appeal. You know, how do we know that uh, Jesus actually resurrected? Well, people saw him. They saw him hang on the cross, and then a, a whole bunch more people saw him as he was walking once again on the earth. And Thomas even put his hand in the holes in his side and, and saw his hands, the nail holes in his wrist or his feet or whatever. And so they knew that it was Jesus. All right. And then another thing was, you know, evangelists and missionaries needed the written message to facilitate sharing the gospel. All this kind of goes along, you know, and works together. And uh, also persecution, you know, persecution forced Christians to choose which books were most, you know, were too valuable to hand over to the authorities to be confiscated and destroyed because if you'll if you'll do a little bit of just world history you'll see there was some crazy stuff going on throughout throughout the ages um, over in that part of the world where barbarians would just come in and burn down all the libraries and destroy all the written records of uh, you know valuable documents and information and so but God promised to preserve his word and he did so even in the face of and even in spite of great persecution and, you know, the enemies of God coming against his word. All right. And, that, and that's because God promised that he would preserve it. All right. So and also in order for a book to be worthy of entering into the official canon, there were certain requirements that had to be met. This first one is a weird word. Right, it's another one of those crazy, hard to pronounce words. Don't make fun of me. But it's apostolicity, right? which basically means direct or indirect connection to an apostle. I want you all to turn over to 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 5. Little John, as Pastor Reg would call it. I hope he's listening right now because I'm sure that uh, he can add something to this conversation later on when, when I call him. <laughs> So look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. 
We're looking at eyewitness testimony and authority in First John uh, in this um, requirement of canonization called apostolicity. All right, so look what First John chapter 1, verse 1 says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Over and over again, you'll notice um, how John writes and words this. Uh, that from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen, look, our eyes, we've looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2 says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. Here it goes again. And bear witness, and shew unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So over and over again, John is telling you we were there. We saw it. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now here is, look at verse 4. If this don't get you excited, I don't know what to tell you. Look at verse 4. And these things, what things? The eyewitness testimony, all he just told you. I was there, we saw it, we, we were there, we heard it, we saw it, we handled it. These things write we unto you. Why? That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full in what? Just hoping that Jesus is real? No. Knowing that he is because you have the eyewitness testimony which bears witness and authority that the scriptures right here are reliable accounts of Jesus Christ in the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was about to say, somebody say amen, but Bill beat me to it. And just real quick, I'm going to read verse 5 to you as well, but that was the point of that. But verse 5 says, this then is the message. Well, how do you convey a message? Through words. Sometimes you write a message. Sometimes you speak a message. But this message, which we have heard of him, we declare unto you, what? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I love it, man. You know, the scripts, and that's, it goes back to how I opened up this study here tonight. Yes, God used people. Yes, God used people to write it. Yes, God used people to compile it. But it was God that, that made these things to happen, that guided this process, that directed this process. And then they just conveyed the message. It's incredible. The Bible itself is the primary authority on all Christian doctrine, including how we got the New Testament. Now, uh, the next thing that they looked at um, was orthodoxy, which basically means they had to match the teachings that were handed down orally from the apostles. Initially, the, the early Christians didn't have a Bible. They didn't, and, and even the Old Testament, nobody, no natural, you know, no normal everyday people had scrolls you know they they had to rely on people to transmit and you know and teach them the word of god and i want you to turn to first thessalonians uh chapter 2 verse 13. 
1 Thessalonians 2.13. All right, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We're talking about orthodoxy, which means match the teachings that were handed down orally from the apostles. Look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This blows me away, y'all. I don't know what else to say. That's amazing. All right, the next thing we're looking at is antiquity, all right, which basically means that it, it had to be written during the time of the apostles, all right, and basically this kind of relates to the first thing that we talked about, apostolicity, but it really takes it a step further, all right, and some people are going to get offended by what I'm about to say, but I'm sorry, it's just, it's the truth, all right, this particular reason of antiquity uh, remember, the New Testament canon is closed. Don't add to and don't take away from the words of this book. I will put a curse on you. That's what he said. All right. So this is one of the, the major reasons, uh, really one of many reasons, but one of the major reasons uh, why we cannot accept such writings as the Book of Mormon and other false writings that claim inspiration. I'm sorry if that offends people. But that's what I believe, and that's what the Bible teaches. The New Testament canon is closed, all right? You can't, these other books that claim to be inspired of God that were written, you know, a thousand years after Christ or, you know, whatever, you know, put the number on it, there's been many of them. That's, that's not Scripture. That's not the Word of God. Take, give me this any day over any of that. Why? Because... The word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure as silver tried in a furnace of fire. This Bible, this word has been proven to be true and to be reliable. So that's where I stand. All right. Another thing is, is, is church usage, which kind of goes back to the previous discussion of uh, the wide circulation of helpful documents among early churches. They were waiting with anticipation to receive this Bible. Church, we don't know how blessed we are. We are so blessed to have this Bible. My goodness, it's the Word of God. Somebody think about that for a minute. It's not the word of your favorite author or your favorite poet. Well, hopefully it is your favorite author and your favorite poet because he is all those things. But, man, this book is its the Word of God. Think about that, man. That is that is powerful, and we are blessed to have this because there were in times past that people didn't have this, all right. And there was a long time where it wasn't written in the vernacular or the language of the common people, and so authorities over them. Um, and we'll talk about this, you know, next week or so. But uh, used that, and you know, they didn't have the word of God where they could read it, and they used that to exert themselves you know, over the common man. And that's, that's wrong. God is no respecter of persons. 
All right, so in the fourth century, Christian churches and, new, and church leaders overall generally agreed on the contents of this New Testament. Why is that important? It's important because all the way back as early as the year 100, you know, whatever that was, we talked about 170 AD and really before that, it's all in the scriptures as I've just showed you. But it's important because these were people who either had eyewitness testimony or knew the people who had eyewitness testimony. And that basically means the people that Paul ministered to, that Peter ministered to, um, John, and all these different people. You know, that, that's why it's so important, because people that knew the apostles or people that knew the people that knew the apostles as early on as, you know, just a, a generation or two later, they agreed that this is the Bible. And that's important to know, because, you know, we're not... You know, it didn't it didn't just happen by itself, uh, you know, a thousand years later. That's that's my point. All right. So now we're going to get into some really interesting stuff that I love to look at. I love to to read and, and research. But before we do that, I guess, uh, Brother Bill, uh, does anybody have any questions? Anybody want to uh, ask anything or, or uh, say anything? You know, feel free to chime in. I've probably missed many things. You know, I'm not. Uh, exhausted on this these are just some of the highlights that i'm giving you but if anybody has any questions i'll do my best to answer them or get back to you with an answer uh or if you have something you want to add to it you know now is the time we'll take a second to allow somebody to you know to ask a question can you see can you see if there's any comments Well, are you really gonna, you're really gonna love what you're about to hear, brother. <laughs> this where this. Well, I want to get one other. I want to get one other one in here for you, if you don't mind, Pastor. I want to get this young man right here. His name is Claude. Claude, would you please say something? Let us know you're doing okay tonight. Don't you? You, you, man. I'm tired of. I'm just enjoying what's going on. Ain't no talking. Well, let let me ask y'all this. All right, so 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 what you're saying is y'all are getting something out of this. You're enjoying it. You like it. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Well, if if that's let me give you a little something right here now. All participants are now unmuted. Know about this? Just go ahead. Everybody, speak up now. They hear you. Everybody, one time. I don't care. Just have it right. How are you, Betty Dixon? How are you, Betty Floyd? What do y'all think about this? I think it's wonderful. It's very inspiring. And Clay? I know it's Clay. Right. It definitely keeps us safe. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Well, look, everybody, everybody's enjoying it, Pastor, and uh, we'll, we we want you to continue right on, brother. All right. All participants are now muted. All right, so here we go. All right, now, <clears throat> again, before I move forward, and I know I've said this a thousand times, but I cannot say this enough. 
I must reiterate the most important point of this entire study. Yes, God used men to write and compile the books of the Bible. So when people say, you know, that as an attack against the Bible, saying, you know, it's just another book of superstitious men, we don't, we don't hide that fact. We know that God used men to write the Bible. That's not, the Bible says that. And over and over again, most of the most of the books in the Bible say, I, Paul, or I, Peter, or, you know, Daniel, or Jeremiah, or whoever. They tell you, I'm writing this book. All right? That's not a, it's not a secret. But the Bible tells us, and, and if when you begin to study and begin to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, you'll find out for yourself there's no way men could have written this book. I, and I don't have enough time to really get into everything that I could say on this subject, but I want to give you a couple of really cool, I call them um, the fingerprints of God or God's signature. All right. I'm going to give you a couple of those real quick. How you can see in the Bible, there's no way men could have done this. From you know, and you're talking about men who lived thousands of years apart um, in different parts of the world and different occupations and education levels and all this stuff, but yet it all co you know it all comes together in one living organism. That's what it is. The Bible is alive. You know, for the word of God is quick, it's powerful. The word quick means alive, all right? So we know the Bible is alive. And, and so I say all that to, to remind us of God's promise in Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. All right? He promised to preserve his word from this generation and forever. So if he said it, I believe it, y'all. I stand on it. All right? So yeah, God used men. But it was the Holy Ghost. It was the hand of God that directed this, the, the steps of man, hey, all right, Daddy. in this very important hey, process. Hey, buddy, you see me on there? <laughs> Noah's watching me on the phone over there. All right, so God is the author of these 66 books. God is the author, all right? 27 in the new, 39 in the old. Now, uh, I want to show some very interesting things, these little fingerprints, I like to call them, God's signature. And I want you to start by turning to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And this really is kind of a topic for next week when we talk about transmission and translation. But you're not going to be able to find these patterns in every Bible that I'm about to show you, which is why I read the Bible that I read, because God's fingerprint and his signature is on this Bible like no other Bible that you can read, all right? So take that, take that for what it's worth, all right? Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was, the, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. What's wrong, buddy? You hurt yourself? It's okay. You sit up there with your mama. All right, go play. Should be okay. Y'all go. Or sit down. All right. Verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, if you look at verse 6, he says, There was a man sent from, from God whose name was John. So the first five verses in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, you can look at as a section, as one topic. And that topic is the eternality of God, of the Word of God. All right, so we, it says the Word was in the beginning. It was with God. It was God. And, you know, the same was with God from always. Right? Everything was made from the Word of God. You can look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you see a direct uh, connection between these verses here. And it talks about the light, which, you know, we know that the Word of God is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Uh, we know that the Word of God is life. So these first five verses here is talking about the Word of God. And then another topic comes up in verse 6. Right? And it's a, a different topic. He starts talking about John. And that's fine. But here's what's interesting. If you take your King James Bible and you count the number of words in verses 1 through 5, which tells you about the authority of the Word of God who has been and always will be and made everything. What is more authoritative in this world than what made this world? Nothing. The Word of God is the utmost supreme authority and if you count the number of words in verses 1 through 5 in your King James Bible there's 66 words in those five verses talking about the Word of God how many books of the Bible are there 66 does that mean something I think it does I don't know about y'all but I think it does I right? Turn to Psalm chapter 117. Psalm 117. All right. Psalm 117 is the only chapter in the whole Bible that has only two verses. There's not another chapter in the Bible that has two verses. All right. Something else that's interesting about Psalm 117 is it is the middle chapter of the Bible. It is the direct center chapter in the whole Bible. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And if you, and if you put 594 on the left and the 595, which is Psalm 117 in the center, and then put the rest of the 594 on, uh, chapters remaining on the right, you have Psalm 117 is the center chapter in the Bible, all right? And it's two verses, the Old Testament and the New Testament, all right? You got two verses there, all right? Now, uh, this, so 
what does that what does that mean? Well, if you let's let's think of it in in this context. All right, if it's the center, divide a dividing line, you know, 594 here, 594 here, one in the middle. Let's call this, and, and people do, you know, you call, every book has what we call a spine. All right, this is the spine of the book. Well, this middle chapter of the Bible, let's call it the spine chapter, the spine of the Bible. All right. Because the spine divides the body in the physical into two symmetrical pieces, does it not? We're talking about, you know, in the body now. Now, if you count the number of words in Psalm 117, the spine of the Bible, of the Word of God, you got 33 words in Psalm 117. Okay, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, maybe it means nothing. But if you, if you think about this number in, in respect that Jesus was 33 years old when they hung him on that cross, he defeated sin, death, and the grave, and in three days he was in the belly of the earth and rose again. If we think about this in light of the fact that Jesus is the Word of God, all right, how many, how many vertebrae are in the human spine? The human spine has 33 vertebrae. Somebody say amen. All right, well, this, this uh, preacher, he's talking about numerology. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the fingerprint of God, somebody. Read what he says. Oh, praise the Lord. All ye nations, praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. What is his truth? My word is truth. The, the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Now I want you to uh, look at second, hold your place there, but turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15, 2 Timothy 2.15. We're going to wrap up here in just a second. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study what? Study the word of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice that phrase there, the word of truth, and flip back over here, and, and how uh, he talks about rightly dividing. This Bible is rightly divided, y'all. It has 66 books for a reason. It is rightly divided. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now look at Psalm 117 again. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. We're talking about the word of God here, y'all. And I know this may not mean anything either, but look, this is another interesting thing. I've been uh, showing you how to use references, uh, your center column references, if your Bible has that. Guess what? The first reference is to another scripture 
that I have the very first thing in Psalm 117. Psalm 66. I don't know what to tell y'all. I mean, that right there to me is absolutely incredible. Think about this spine in reference to the human body. What does the spine do? Well, it connects to the head and more specifically, the brain. All right. And the brain generates information that passes through the 33 vertebrae of the spine. And those vertebrae, each one has um, spinal nerves on it. And when the information from the brain or the instruction from the brain travels down the 33 vertebrae of the spine, it goes to the part of the body and instructs the part of the body that you're trying to make do something. In other words, your foot doesn't have a thought of its own. And when you want to walk somewhere, your leg automatically does it by itself. No, it receives instruction from the head or from the brain that's passed down the 33 vertebrae of the spine. How does that equate to the word of God? Jesus is the head. All right. And Jesus, the 33-year-old man who hung on the cross, defeating death and, the, and sin in the grave, passes the instruction to the body, which is the church, which is you and I, through those 66 books of the Bible. 33 and 33 is 66. You got the 66 books of the Bible where, where the Lord Jesus Christ gives us his word to the body of Christ, the church, you and I, to instruct us on what we are supposed to be doing. Maybe it's just me, but that is absolutely incredible to me. So when somebody comes to me and they say, well, there was a whole bunch of other books that was supposed to be in the Bible and they took them out and this, that, and the other, there's supposed to be way more than 66. No, the word of God is rightly divided, y'all. God knew what he was doing, and God did it for a reason. And his hands and his fingerprints and his signature is all over it. Study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of God. There's nothing more important in your life right now than putting your nose in that book, putting your heart in that book, and saying, God, here am I, use me. Speak to me. Reveal to me. Church, it, it's not always, I don't sit down and get something every time I read it. But he's putting it in me, and eventually that word is not going to return to him void. It's going to accomplish that for which he sent it to accomplish. That's in Isaiah. You find that. The word of God shall not return to him void. And it won't return to you void either. Spend some time over these next few weeks studying that book. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get bogged down. If you can't read, you know, a book, read a chapter. Read, you know, some verses. Spend some time asking and praying, God, reveal something to me. And the more you study it, the more you become that workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You know why somebody would need to be ashamed? Is if he's not spending time with the Word. Because I tell you, Man, you end up doing some stuff that's going to bring shame to your life. I'm telling you. You know, God, man, he's ready. He's willing. He's, he's wanting to spend 
some time with you. And man, there there are so many patterns in that book like that 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 would literally blow your mind. It's just, it's incredible. And so spend some time looking at it. Spend some time reading it. God, here am I. Do with me what you want to. Speak to me how you want to and lead me how you want me to go. So with that, I'm going to shut up for tonight. Uh, I'm going to give you another moment or two to respond or to ask some questions. Uh, and But just real quick, next week, we're going to come back at the same time. And um, if you're ready, we're going to go over transmission and probably translation. We should be able to get those two um, in one sitting, I think. And, um, and we're going to learn some more on how we got the New Testament of the Holy Bible, the greatest book on planet Earth and beyond. Amen? So that's all I got to say. If, uh, if, if you got some questions, Facebook, now's the time to do it. Type a comment. My wife will tell me if you've asked a comment or asked a question in the comments from Facebook. And Brother Bill will tell me if somebody has a question on the 1-800 number. Unless somebody else has another question, okay? 
All right. Well, uh, let's bow our heads and pray, and we'll close this thing out. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you have given us the instruction manual for life, the Bible, the believer's instructions before leaving earth. And Lord, we love you and we praise you for all the many wonderful things that you're ready and willing to reveal to us. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would uh, just continue to do so, Lord, that you would help us in our times of need and trouble, God, and that you would help us so that we could give you glory and honor for doing so, Lord. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be with our family and our friends that are going through troubled times right now, Lord, and those people that don't know you. We're asking that right now that these times would, uh, would begin to draw people unto you as I know they already are. Lord, just today I'm standing on a job talking to Bobby and talking about you know, the, the plans for the service tonight. And one of the top dogs at the site that I was working on comes to me and begins pouring his heart out in, in, next to in tears. Lord, talking about eternal life, wanting to know eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, that is not a coincidence. Father, you orchestrated that divine encounter. I was just trying to talk to Bobby and get things squared away for tonight while I was working, multitasking. And Father, you brought uh, someone in uh, to a place of contemplating their eternity. So Lord, I'm asking that you would be with that brother right now, that you would be with him and that you would open up the eyes of his understanding, Father, and, and penetrate through all the confusion Lord, that's in his life right now that he shared with me. And so, Father, I thank you for loving him and for allowing me to have some time to spend with him to, to earlier today. Lord, I didn't have any words to say to him, but I know that you did, Lord. And so I ask you right now to lead every one of us, Father, into more and more divine encounters. As we spend time in your word, God, you will give us the answers. You will put, just like you did to Jeremiah, the words in our mouth that we might be able to speak what it is that you would have for us to say. Let us not have fear for those encounters, Lord, but let us embrace them wholeheartedly, God. And we, and that fear will be gone as we have communion and fellowship with you, God, because we'll be ready. Our spirits will be strong and ready for that time. And Lord, what a great time indeed it is. Father, we love you and praise you and just keep you, uh, just want to keep you close, God, in all that we do. Let you be the sole authority in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoyed so much. All right. Well, y'all have a great night. Bye, Facebook.